and this is the other thing. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Preparing to go somewhere and bringing food with you is like maybe the thing in my life that has changed the most. And it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing to always have something that you know you can bring with you if you get hungry, that you don't need to stop somewhere that may not have food that you can eat. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Feeling Full podcast. I'm Mordecai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets or without doing intense workouts. If you're ready to give up quick fixes and fad diets and build a fulfilling relationship with your body and food, then this show is for you. Today, my guest is Jeff Miller. Jeff is a food writer, musician, and a TV host. He was the editor of Thrillist LA for 10 years, where he was literally being paid to eat taste foods at new restaurants, and then write about them. Jeff and I met four years ago at a conference in Utah where I literally walked over to him and volunteered my story, asking him if he wanted my help with his weight. I know this may sound a little bit bizarre, but it happened, and we have very different recollections of exactly how it went down, so I'm really glad we were able to clear that up on today's show. Ever since Jeff was a kid, he struggled with his weight. Like a lot of kids in the 90s, Jeff went to Weight Watchers, and obviously that didn't help. It only reinforced the belief he couldn't do it. He accepted this as his reality, and as he says, he lived in denial. Jeff had a wake-up call when things in his life started to change. His mom passed away, his brother had a baby, and someone really close to Jeff had a heart attack at just 42 years old. In today's conversation, we discussed the principles that helped Jeff lose 80 pounds and how he's still going strong three and a half years later, how he navigates social dinner parties, creating boundaries, speaking his needs, and how preparation has become such an important big part of his life. And one of the things I think is so important that Jeff talks about is how small steps over a long period of time has been his saving grace. About a month ago, I randomly bumped into Jeff at the fish market in Hawaii, in Kauai, on, this, on the island of Kauai. And it was so great to see Jeff. I recognized him from the back and I knew it was him. We both knew we were in the same, on the same island, but I knew it was him. And he's, we took our masks off and Jeff had the biggest smile on his face. He looked incredible. He was just vibrant and it was just so great to see him. I knew I needed to have him on the show. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And before we get started, if you know someone who would be inspired by this conversation, please share this episode with them. And a quick reminder to subscribe to Feeling Full on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your shows so you can stay in the loop with Feeling Full and future episodes. Thanks for joining and let's jump right in. When I think back to my trip in Hawaii, um, it was, I think it was one of the craziest moments was like the second day I was in Kauai going to the fish market and bumping into you. <laughs> it was like really amazing. And it was like such an amazing moment because I knew you were going to be in Kauai, but I was not expecting to see you there. And we both had our masks on and you like took off your mask. And then I had this like, holy shit, I can't believe, like I knew you had just gotten there. And like, I was really excited to see you at some point on that trip. It was kismet. It was like really amazing. It was so fun. It was, it was, it was like, I think my second day there. And then we just all sat down. Yeah. 
It was really one of the things that was really funny about that too was that I had ordered what I ordered previously and it didn't come with slathered in sauce. It was just like oil and fish. And then I ordered it that day and it was slathered in sauce. And it was like, it was almost like there was this moment of like, you're being tested. Like I had to go back in and reorder like what I got. I don't know. Oh, they put the sauce, they put the sauce on the fish and you have to go back in. They put the sauce on the fish and I like took one bite and I was like, this is not like I had ordered it before and it was great. And I was like, this is not what I got before. So I like had to go back and do a second order and like I remember just that. the whole time. Hilarious. So funny. That is pretty funny. And and right. And the reason you're not having the sauce because it's not in your plan. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly like a super sugary sauce. Like I had one small bite of it and I was like, this is, uh, this is not a sauce. This is not a sauce that I can justify <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Man, it is so good to finally have this interview. We've known each other for close to three years now, I believe. Maybe even longer, think, three and a half years. I think we've known each other for longer than that. Yeah, three and a half or four years from the first time we met. So just to kind of talk to that a bit, you know, um, you're a food blogger. Food writer. Food writer. What's your title? It's, it's a complicated thing because you're also a musician, so... Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. I was the editor of a website called Thrillist for 10 years, which is like food and stuff to do and stuff in LA. I still do a lot of writing for them, writing about new restaurants and think great things to do in LA. And then I also hosted a show on the Travel Channel and I do TV stuff in that world. And then I'm also a musician. I play in a band called Black Crystal Wolf Kids that I manage. And I still do a lot of consulting in the food world and in the music world. So it's sort of a bunch of different things, master of master of none, uh, but uh, <laughs> renaissance man in many. You're good at food, that's for sure. So, so, <laughs> so when I met you in 2017, right? So I just want to start there. So when I met you in 2017, so we were both at an event called Summit Series. It's a, like an entrepreneurial, like, what do you even call those events? It's like, it's not a networking event. It's more like a... I, call, I always call it a conferencing series because I feel like that's the easiest thing that people, you know, get. But it's really like a bunch of people who do a lot of different things coming together to almost brainstorm great things to do in the world. That's way great at putting it. So it's like a summit series. I mean, it's a conference, but it's like not a traditional conference. It's a conference, not a networking event. So the reason why this is important is because I kind of just randomly mosey walked over to you one day and just sat down next to you and introduced myself. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember bringing up your weight. You know, why don't you say that? How, how did it occur for you? So you and I had talked, we had just talked at dinner and had like connected or at lunch uh, the day before. Oh, and we had, we had chatted, oh, oh, we had like gotten along, we maybe gone to a session together. We were still like hanging out the next day. And you're like, hey, like in addition to this other stuff that we've like talked about, I am starting to do like weight loss coaching for men. And I really hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries by saying something to you. But like, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I've lost a hundred plus pounds and I really think I can help people. And I don't know, I, no pressure if you're ready or if you're not ready. And I hope you're not offended basically was what you said to me. I was not offended, but I was like, yeah, thanks for talking to me about it. Like that was pretty much like the end. I like just was not ready to have that discussion. I remember being like, I'll take your number. I mean, when I look back at that time, I was so in denial uh, in so many ways too about like how heavy I was. You know, I just wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready to like do anything about it, to, to like take ownership, to have a place where I was saying, I need to do something about this. That was really what it was. Even if somebody else was coming up to me and was, was saying that. I'm so glad you're sharing your version of the story because it makes so much more sense to me now. Because I remember now we actually did hang out 
So there was a little bit of context. It wasn't just like a cold, like just approach and be like, yo, you know. Yeah, it definitely wasn't like a cold approach. Like, I feel like I was like, oh, this guy is like friendly and fun. And like, I vibe with him already. And then it was like the next day was when you really, you know, made made the pitch. And the reason I think this is important is because I kind of, you know, I'll, this is an interesting conversation because when is it okay to approach somebody about their weight and when is it not okay? And I think at this conference, it's okay because, you know, we're all kind of friends or friends of friends or people who, you know, it's a, it's a, there's only a few hundred people there or whatever. So it was kind of like socially acceptable, I think. And I think in some way, in other ways, maybe it's not as acceptable to bring up somebody else's weight because they can easily be offended and it could be a judgment. And, you know, I often tell people when someone asks, like when there's somebody they care about, they want to bring up, they want to approach a subject, they don't know how. I think what's really important here is like the come from. Yeah. You probably felt the come from from me. That wasn't like I was saying, man, you got to go on a diet. I was just kind of sharing what was going on for me and what I was up to. Yeah. And also because of the nature of Summit, it's like a, it's not like a self-help, self-improvement series necessarily, but that's always like sort of the context is maybe you're going to meet somebody who can help you with your career or help you in life. And there's all sorts of different people that have done all of these sort of amazing things there. So I totally agree. Like contextual, like if you had just been somebody I had met at a bar or through a friend, even at a party, I mean, maybe at a party, it would have been a little different, but I agree. I mean, it was, and and again, it wasn't a conversation I was really ready for. I mean, I think we talked for all of three minutes that first time about yeah. the weight stuff and then we moved on, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very clear you weren't interested. And I remember you, I gave my number. I'm like, here's my number in case you change your mind that we just kept talking. Yeah. So, so walk me through what changes. So we, you know, we made a connection. We went our own ways. I mean, I was, I was rejected. I was a little sad, but I, you know, I moved on. Everything was fine. And what happened next in your viewpoint? If that was about three and a half years ago, my mother had already passed away. So my mom passed away in June of 2016. And that was like a huge, major life shifting moment for me in so many ways, as I think it is for anybody who has a, a parent who dies. She was a huge influence on my life and was an amazing person. My girlfriend sort of saw this happen. I was already heavy. And I think that part of my way of dealing with grief was to eat even more, to like really dive into that side of things. So I gotten heavier. Then my brother had a baby and I started thinking that like I wanted to really be involved in that child's life. And then I had a friend who was basically living a really similar lifestyle to me who had a heart attack and almost died. And he was three years older than me. How old? He was 42 when he had the heart attack. I'm now 41. So I was about 39, 38. And then I went on another really incredible sort of uh, journey called reality that's also sort of similar to the summit thing where you're meeting a lot of really interesting people. And I met some health coaches on that trip. I had pretty open conversations with them. At that point, I had started like thinking like, I really want to be there for my niece, especially because now I know my mom is not going to be able to be there for her granddaughter. I had this friend who had this heart attack and it was really scary. Um, and it was the first time that there was somebody who was that close to me in age who had had a life-threatening problem that was something that I could relate to. And then you called me again. I don't know if you remember this. And I you called you again? You called me again. Really? You, yes, you did. Wow. You called me again. <laughs> Relentless. I remember it so well. It was Memorial Day weekend, I guess, 2018. Does that make sense? I think that's right. And you said... I'm starting this again with a group of guys. I just really think that you're like a candidate for this program. And I said, let me think about it. I'll get back to you on Monday. It was Memorial Day weekend. And I knew that I had like a heavy eating. I was going away somewhere. I was doing something that I didn't want to be restricted. I was so scared of being restricted. And I didn't call you. 
and I didn't call you for a month. And I called you back eventually and I said, okay, I'm ready. And you said, you're not. You said you were going to call me on Monday and I am somebody who takes things like that really seriously and you're not ready. And I had to beg you to work with me. You, and I don't blame you. Looking back on it, you were totally right. If somebody had done the same thing to me, I would have had the same reaction. I would have been like, no, you're going to waste my time. You're going to fully waste my time. Like you said, you're going to call me Monday. And I remember that Monday looking at my phone and being like, I should really call Mordecai back. And then I was like, let's see how I feel tomorrow. And then like the next day came and the next day came and then a month went by. So I don't, I mean, you can tell your side. I, I remember that you basically told me no. And then somehow you came around. You, you believed me at, at a certain point. Wow. I, I honestly didn't remember any of that. So I'm, I mean, my story was so different. My story was like, you called me one day and we just started working together. No, go- you, is- you pitched me a second time. Wow. That's a, well, that's a great twist. That's a great plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it much more exciting. So when we spoke, you were, you know, your job was to actually go out to restaurants, taste food at restaurants, write about it and talk about it and share about it. Walk me through what that's like for you. Because I remember we had a lot, we spoke a lot about this because your job was like, your job was to eat. And, yes. and these restaurants mostly didn't have the, the, <laughs> the God plan food that we were all about. Yeah. So the full-time job had ended at that point, but I still am and still was freelancing. And I had this sort of vision in my life of that, that that was going to continue. So I knew that I wanted to still write about food. There were various times during this period of my life, the 10 years that I was a thrillist, where I thought about trying to lose weight. And I was like, I'll never be able to do it because of this job. It's this job. I love this job. I love that people that I meet and the food I get to eat and the access that it gives me, but I'll never be able to do it. I remember talking to you and being like, I don't want to give up any foods entirely. And you were like, well, you know, that might not be really feasible. And I was like, I want to still be able to go to things and have one bite of everything. And you were like, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. This was after we had started working together. I was like, no, like I want the experience of going to a restaurant and eating, but I don't think that I need to do all of it. So essentially, we decided that for part of what we were doing, which was agreements that you know I had to stick to, that I could have one bite of everything at a table. And I did. And I still do. I went to like a really nice restaurant the other night, and I did the same thing. And I think for me, looking back especially, so much of my weight issue and so much of so many things in my life have been about being a part of a group of people that are doing something, you know, and the things that are hardest for me to give up are, try, are not being a part of that group. Like for me, uh, I was never a heavy drinker, but I've stopped drinking entirely. And the hardest thing for me about that wasn't that I feel like I had an alcohol addiction. It was more that I was the guy who was going out till two in the morning and then organizing the group that went to late night dinner. What does that look like if you're not drinking, you're not eating everything? With the restaurant stuff, it was similar. I was like, I don't want to give up this thing that I love, which is getting to go out to all these places in Los Angeles and beyond and really having a taste of everything, whether it's culturally, if I'm traveling or at a table in Los Angeles, if I'm with a group. Um, And that was sort of my internal compromise. And I don't think that would work for everyone. It's a really difficult thing to do for me too. But uh, it's the way that I've managed to, to live my life for the last couple of years in a way in which I can still do all of these things and not feel like I'm restricting myself in a way that doesn't work for me. 
I did not think you can stick to that because for me, the you know the idea of having like one bite of French fries or one bite of something, you know, one bite of pasta or something like that, that would send my you know make me all crazy because the sugar and the wheat and everything else would have my cravings go through. So I was really impressed. I mean, it definitely works for you. You've lost over eighty pounds doing this. It's been slow and steady, but you're you're at it still, and it's been really impressive. I'm I'm curious. Take me back to a, a story when you were out at a restaurant tasting something with a group of people. I know you you do these things in groups. Usually you're with other people. How does that work? How are, are you in communication and letting everybody know what's going on? Or I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of communicating to other people what's happening for them when they're, you know, they don't, no one wants to be the party pooper. Oh, I can't eat this or, you know, can't yeah. eat the table. I think that a key moment for me in this whole journey was I made a conscious decision. Initially, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. I'm going to do it for myself. I've always done this like sort of when I've lost weight, I've done it for other people. The last time I lost major weight, I did a bet with my trainer. And as soon as the bet was over, I gave it up. So in this case, I was like, I'm just doing this just for me. And so I'm not going to tell anybody. And probably, I don't know, two or three months into it, I completely had a change in my my psyche, in my mind, my decision-making about it, where I was like, no, this is not who I am. I'm somebody who is an outward person, not an inward person generally. And I like sharing things about myself with people. And I'm like a public guy. So why am I not telling people about this? And I think for me, that was like when it really shifted. This has become a lifestyle change. And it became like part of my story. I would sit down at a dinner at a, like a whatever, a, a, let's say like a tasting dinner with like 15 people and they were going to bring the entire menu. And it was like, I mean, I remember I was in San Diego for, for one of these at a seafood restaurant and there was like seafood pasta and there was like creamy sauce and there was all of this stuff. And I like looked at the waiter and I was like, Hey, can I get a salad with just oil and vinegar? And like, do you have like a really good piece of fish that you could like wood roast for me? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And everybody at the table, like looked over me, like you're ordering more food. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like I've lost, you know, at that point, whatever it was 60 pounds, I've lost 60 pounds. And uh, I eat a lot of like lean protein and a lot of whole protein and a lot of salad. I'm sure they're going to make like a great piece of fish for me. Right. And so they go to the back and they do this custom thing and they bring it back and it's a whole fish that they roasted on the fire and salad. And I ended up sharing the fish with people who were like, this is the best dish at the table. You know, I mean, that simple style of cooking often ends up being as or more delicious than the sort of like fancier stuff. And I mean, I think one of the things about the approach that you and I did together that you brought to me and that's really connected with me is like, you can eat more of the stuff that you're allowed. You don't need to feel like you can't eat. Like it's never been calorie counting. It's been more about like, okay, is the food that's going to like give me nutrients and serve my body and be healthy. So I knew that I could eat as much of that fish as I wanted to and feel like I ate a full meal having one bite of this other stuff around the table. And honestly, the fish was better than anything else at the table anyway. It's so crazy. It often is. And I think most people have a a struggle with speaking up, speaking up for what they really need. Totally. That just brought another similar example to my mind. Uh, I went out with a group of people to this really great Italian restaurant called Felix in LA, and they're really well known for their pastas, handmade pastas. Everybody else, you know, got pastas to share with everybody. And I asked for the steak. There was a steak on the menu that sounded amazing. And everybody was like, you can't order a steak at Felix. Like it's a pasta place. It's the best steak I've had in Los Angeles. 
like number one or number two. And like a place that makes great pasta and is like a nice restaurant is going to make a great steak. It's not like they're going to like go, oh, the people who order the steak don't deserve the same level of care with their food as the pasta. It was delicious. Yeah. I just think like, like going into it, the mentality of essentially like what is the best thing on this menu for whatever the plan that you're on is, whether it's, you know, what we're doing, God food, paleo, whatever you want to call it, or keto or whatever the, the, the thing that your brain is in. You can look at any menu and figure out the thing that works for you on that menu. Yeah, I love your point about being able to eat as much as you want of something. And when it's especially on the God food and and, and for those who aren't God food, it's kind of like whole, you know, whole 30. It's basically things that are natural form, foods that are an original natural form that man hasn't, you know, messed up yet with all the chemicals and processed ways that we have in our modern culture. It's like very hard to gain weight if you're eating lots of vegetables and protein. I mean, it's extremely challenging to gain weight. And I think like an entry point for especially, you know, when you're starting out your journey, it's like by focusing on that, like by focusing on that element, that gives you some relief. Knowing that you can always overeat on fish, you know, and if you needed to eat more, eat more fish, eat more chicken, eat more meat. It's like, and lots of vegetables, even though you're overeating, it's very different than overeating on pasta and pizza. Your body feels so different. I mean, this isn't like, one of the things that I think about all the time, and this can, I'm going to try to make this the least gross th- way to say this possible, is how different my BMs are, how different my stomach feels, how different my internal body feels when I'm like really sticking to the plan. Because I, I just think like when you're overeating all of the other stuff that you were talking about, I, I have a friend who's a, who's a food writer who jokes that he feels like he has low grade food poisoning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think he's right. You know, I don't think it's really a joke because my whole digestive system has changed based on that too, in a way that feels so much healthier. So uh, I want to, I want to change gears for a second here and, and then we'll get some more good stuff about where you're at now. But I want you to take me back to, you know, the early days of Jeff. What's going on when you were like 13, 14 years old? And, I, you know, if I was a fly on the wall, dinner time at the Miller house, what am I, yeah. what, what am I saying? So my mom was really uh, conscious about her weight because when she was in college, she always told the story that she gained 15 pounds as a freshman and and she was a small woman. She was a petite woman. So that's a lot of weight for a petite woman. And her family, my my whole family has weight issues. And she was always like the skinny one or the smallest one, but it was something she was really aware of. You know, I think like many, many people in the uh, the 90s, that meant low-fat foods at home. That meant uh, low-fat cottage cheese and low-fat yogurt and, you know, these things that now we look at it and like they substituted sugar in for the the fat. So you're actually getting a less healthy version of the thing, but it was like low-fat or light, you know, Diet Coke, that sort of stuff. So um, she also was not a very good cook. In fact, she was many things that were amazing, but she was not a cook. And so we ate a lot of like takeout food and restaurant food. And then like at home, like the snacks were all these like low fat snacks. And I gained weight. I mean, I ate, I ate a lot of like burgers and fries and stuff. And I was a heavy kid despite the low fat stuff at home. And I've listened to podcasts and heard you ask people what dinner looks like at your house as a kid. And I honestly can't, I honestly can't remember. I have no memory of like what we ate when I was like nine. I have zero memory, but here's what I do have a memory of. I have a memory of my parents taking me 
to Weight Watchers when I was 13 because I had I had gone to the doctor and was in the 99th percentile for my weight. And I was they had like a deal with me where if I lost X amount of pounds, I would they would buy me a CD. And I was like a huge music fan. So I would like lose that weight to get a CD and then I would gain it back and then I would lose it and I would do this. And um, I've also heard people on your podcast talk about this, going to Weight Watchers as a kid and being among all these like middle-aged women and getting weighed, which is like the most embarrassing thing. I mean, when you're a kid, oh man, I like just thinking back on like my psyche as a 13-year-old, like I didn't want to get on that scale. And I felt like I was being judged every time by the middle-aged woman at Weight Watchers. And we'd sit in these chairs and it was, you know, this meeting about like, how do you lose weight? I remember one woman was like, what's the, they were like, what's an active thing you can do to lose weight? And this woman was like, have sex. And I, <laughs> I was like the most, I was like with my mom and I was just like red in the face. And, um, I went to summer camp one of those years and my parents brought lean cuisine for me to eat at summer camp in the, and this is like a super active summer camp. Like we were like hiking and doing all this stuff. And then every meal I had to like go to the freezer and get out like a lean cuisine meal. And I, I really want to say that my parents were extremely well-intentioned. I mean, I really think that they were really trying to address something that was clearly going to become like a life issue. But looking back at it, the, the way in which my brain interpreted it was just to um, rebel. And so my teen rebellion was eating. I was not somebody who snuck out really maybe one time, but like, that was not my thing. I was not really a drug guy. I mean, I smoked a little pot in high school, but that was really not my thing either. Um, I was not a, really a drinker, but I ate two breakfast burritos every day from the food truck at school for two years. You know, the breakfast burritos were these huge things full of like hash browns and bacon and sausage and American cheese. My mouth is watering talking about it, even though I feel like if I ate one of those right now, it'd be so gross enormous. And I, I like every day got those from the food truck from the guy at the food truck who was probably 600 pounds, you know, like where I was like watching, Whoa. like almost like a future version of myself selling me these things that were clearly making me, you know, become a heavier person. And I like really, when I think back on it, because my parents, I don't, I don't want to say because like my parents were so they, they really wanted me to lose weight. And I really think that my teen rebellion was saying no to that. So by the time I got to college, I was like probably 230, 240. And then I gained a ton of weight in college and, and after college as well. That was like really where I think like early on, that was what the way, the way in which my brain worked to get there. What do you think you needed as a kid? Well, I mean, looking back, I think that diet culture then was insane. I mean, there was no emphasis. I, I, again, like, I just think like this idea of like low fat, like fake food was, is like not what you need to feed a kid who's heavy. Like you need to feed them like really good roasted chicken. You know, like there's so many, there's like so many things that diet culture, especially at that point in time was like feeding Americans that like just was unhealthy in every way. Right. It just was not, you know, my parents were unbelievably encouraging and supportive of so much of my passions and they helped me with becoming a musician and pursuing the things that I was passionate about. There was always this thing of like, you know, if you're like, but you don't want to be heavy in order to do these things. It's, it's a really like weird, uh, not a weird dichotomy. It's like a thing that makes sense. You're concerned about your child's health. 
you know, right. but again, like I just, I think that it was just diet culture. I think that like so many things about that, especially that era of diet culture are just like the opposite of healthy. Yeah. Making somebody wrong. It's like the weight is a symptom of something. Usually there's an underlying, there's an underlying problem that's going on. The weight is just, you know, the way it's manifesting. So it's interesting. And I think, you know, probably, you know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, all these like fad diets were like, you know, these slim fasts and all these like, you know, these quick fix diets were just hitting the surface, Herbalife and things like that. You know, I, I share the same story as you with Weight Watchers, you know, going to Weight Watchers when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, you're right, like a lot of people on the show go to Weight what we're in, you know, it's crazy how it's the same exact story. You know, it didn't help, it did, and it didn't help most of us. And, you know, we all lost weight in a very different way. Yeah. And Weight Watchers was not geared towards kids. I mean, not that's the other thing. Like it's, it's just like an adult program that people tried to insert teenagers into. Uh, it's just really interesting. I feel like there was like probably one or two kids in every room of like 40 or 50 adults, you yeah. know, <laughs> me and you just happened to be, happened to be one of them. I have just such vivid memories of that room and how institutional it felt. Oh man, I know exactly where it was in Los Angeles. Like I could take you to the mini mall where I went to Weight Watchers. I actually popped in one like a, a year ago. I saw like a Weight Watchers storefront and I was like, I need to walk in just to see if anything's changed. And I walk in, I open the door and no one even stops me. But I kind of just, you know, these the huge scales, they got bigger. My childhood memory doesn't recall, but they are massive now. And there was the same random, you know, guy in his mid fifties in a room full of a whole bunch of mid-aged women. Half the chairs were empty this time. I remember them being much more fuller when I was, when I was showing up uh -huh. and, but it was the same thing. Nothing's changed. He was talking in monotone about nutrition. Everyone's like nodding their head and didn't, they didn't really want to be there. Like my most dreadful moment at Weight Watchers was when it's like, who lost one pound? And a bunch of Ugh. people raised their hand. Who lost? Do you remember that? They, so it was like the worst, like roll, the roll call. Oh, the worst. And if you didn't do it, like you felt so bad and like, oh, it was the worst, the worst. Terrible. Yeah. So I want to take us back to when you joined the group, when, when I finally opened the doors for you and I got over my, my ego being hurt. <laughs> 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 and we started, and the first thing I teach about is integrity, right? And I think the most important thing with weight loss is personal integrity. It's like, you know, how we, the, the internal voice, how we respond to it in ourselves, right? And it's not that we're always, you know, you've been through the program, so it's not like you're always going to keep your word to yourself, but it's, but when you don't, you just own it. Right. It's a thing. So I'm curious what your experience, I know me and you actually in the beginning, this was actually a, a real rub for us because we, we had some tussle moments around this. Yeah. I mean, I just think that it was not a mindset that I had ever been able to, to be in. I don't like making promises I can't keep in life. That's like a big thing for me. And so like, if I think that I might not be able to do something, I just don't make, I don't say that I'm going to be able to do it. And I think that for me, I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to do these things that you were, you know, sort of suggesting to do. So instead of being like, yeah, like I will take ownership when I don't do it. I was like, well, I'm just not going to do that at all. This is something I've never thought about until this moment, but it's like a true, I mean, it's like something that I have talked about in therapy. Like I am somebody who like hates making promises that I can't keep. And I feel like that was like a huge part of probably internally why I was fighting it at the beginning. But then, and also I, I think like there is this thing that like when you're on a weight loss program and you quote unquote cheat, then you give yourself the permission to just continue cheating. And your approach 
was more like if you cheat, it's just cheat is not a cheat. It's like if you go back on your your word or however you want to say it, it's just a one-time thing and you can keep going from there. Again, it's just like a, a difference in mindset. It's like a little, it's like the click between like a five and a six on a volume dial. It's not that different, but like when your brain is there, it's so much easier to be like, okay, well, I had, in my case, I had two bites of ice cream. You know, and I've said I was going to have one bite of ice cream. Doesn't mean that I need to eat the rest of the ice cream because I cheated. I had two bites of ice cream and I need to own that and not do that again the next minute if I really want to commit to losing more weight right now. And again, it's just like a little change in that psyche. It's like uh, if there's a flight path, you know, and it's off by one degree, it totally changes where the plane is going to land. And I think about that, actually, I've been golfing a lot. I think about that a lot with golf. And I think about that a lot with, with weight loss, with health, with whatever. It's not, it doesn't need to be 180 degree turn. You can turn a little bit and make a complete difference in the end result of where the ball goes or where the plane goes or where your body goes. Because if you commit to that one degree turn and you keep doing that one degree turn, you're going to completely change the trajectory of where you're going. Yeah, it makes me so happy to hear you say it because, you know, so it's interesting to hear you go through the entire, like some of the things that we learned, because they're not so fresh in my memory. I got to pull up all my, all my notes, but like that idea of like um, helping people realize in the very beginning of their journeys, right? That their, the goal isn't perfect. The goal is, the goal is consistency and momentum, right? And the way to, you know, you want to keep the ball in the air. You want to keep the ball in the air. You don't, it's not about going for, for perfect. Because if you're going for perfect, then when you mess up, you're like, oh, I didn't do the thing. And now it's over. Right. But if you're going for just consistency and trying to get better, that's why the accountability is really important. Because when you have the accountability, it's like, oh, you said you're going to have two, you said you have one scoop of ice cream and you had two scoops of ice cream. Okay. So you just, it, the big deal isn't that you had two scoops. The big deal is that you just didn't do what you said you're going to do. Right. Yeah. And I mean, right now, I'm, this is something like I'm struggling with at this moment in time because I know that I've fallen off of two of the things that I have uh, used for accountability for myself. I have not updated the Instagram account that I started for my weight loss stuff in like months. And there's no good reason why. I mean, I know, I know the reason why internally. I thought I was going to hit my goal weight and I didn't. And so I kept like waiting for the day that I was going to do that to update it. But I need to just update it. I was updating it once a month. I need to just do it. That would be a great update, by the way, sharing exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that <laughs> this one's funny. I was listening to uh, this meditation every night. This, uh, and also, I feel like this is important to say you and I fought about meditation and visualization stuff, man. And now I've like embraced it in like such a big way. It was something that I like never, I just never subscribed to the idea of that being helpful. And now, like, if I don't meditate for a day or I don't do visualization exercises, I can like feel a difference in my body. I like know, I know it. But anyway, the, I was listening to a visualization exercise every night and I have stopped because it bothers my girlfriend and I need to start doing it on headphones. I got the headphones that go over my ears so I'm not sleeping with something in my ears and I need to start doing it again at night. One of the great things about that exercise for me, which I think I've been trying to, trying to tell other people who will listen, is that it's become the way that my body goes to sleep. I hear the beginning of that visualization every night and it's like Pavlov's dog. My, I can fall asleep in 20 seconds. Um, and it's made to sleep too. So it's the, the John Gabriel visualization exercise. And I think like for anybody who has trouble sleeping, if you listen to the same exact thing every night when you go to bed, you will start getting zonked out. And, and John Gabriel says that you don't have to, I mean, he, you know, this is the same meditation that I was listening to 10 years ago, 
So it's mm-hmm. it's a crazy thing that that you're doing it now. And I'll link it in the show notes for somebody who's listening who wants to, who wants to hear it. Um, but it's a game changer because what happens is even if you do fall asleep, your brain is still registering the words. And what you're essentially doing, what John Gabriel calls, is like turning off the fat program. You're turning off the, your cells in your body that are generating fat and all the and the way you see yourself and the way you feel about yourself and the idea of like weight making you feel safe and how you're safe without the extra weight and you know and visualizing what life would look like feeling great in a perfect sized body and just like getting your body to even we all have thoughts about our lives and generally our actions are following those thoughts and most of them are unconscious most of them are just you know conditioned beliefs from years and years and years and years of being alive and what happens here is you start to change the beliefs about yourself and i know you did that you know part of the program you did the visualization photo um and and i know you post that to instagram and that future version of you i mean compared to the photos that you're posting recently you're getting much much closer to that photo it's amazing I, I literally said the other day, I actually think that I have more, like, I could see more like muscle than that photo. But that also brings up like another thing that I, I was thinking about when you asked me to do the podcast, which is that uh, I, I totally have, is it called body dysmorphia, where you look at yourself and you think that you haven't lost any weight. And uh, there will be one day where I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, I look great. I look closer to that photo. Like I can see my abs coming through. It's crazy. And literally three seconds later, I'll be like, I haven't lost any weight. I I look exactly the same as I did when I started. And it takes seeing side-by-side photos of me for me personally, internally to really acknowledge the difference in my body at that, that point in time. It's really, it's crazy the tricks that your body can play on you. Yeah, it takes a long time uh, for your brain to catch up to what your body's at. Uh, even when I lost the weight, I, I saw the guy who was over 300 pounds. I didn't see the, the guy that was 200 pounds. You know, it's like you don't see, you don't see it because you think about it, your, your body goes through this transformation. Your brain has a concept of what things look like. And you sometimes our, our concepts in our mind, our perceptions, they're not, they're not reality. How many times do you see something and it's not a real thing? Or you see, you see somebody that looks like somebody, but it's your brain just associated because of certain features, that, you know, and then you get a little closer and you're like, oh, it's not the person. Like our brains, I'm sure there's some scientific term for this that I don't know, but, <laughs> but yeah, doing that work is so powerful, visualizing what your future body is going to look like. And we did it in so many ways. The picture was one of them, the visualization, the nighttime visualizations is another one, you know, and the, and the dream document. I'm sure you did a dream document as well, right? Oh, no, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. I guess, I guess you, maybe your class was up by the time we did this. The dream document is basically in detail writing out what your life looks like post weight loss. So for example, you want to lose a hundred pounds, let's say, right? So you write, you know, I'm a hundred pounds lighter. I'm doing these things. I'm with these people and you get in vivid detail as possible. And you then you create this document and that's it. You put it away. Yeah. And just like planting those seeds in your mind. Now you have all these new data points that you didn't have before. Man, that would have been a really hard one for me to do. Like, I'm just thinking about like where I was a few years ago and like what, like I would have been like, I do all the things I want to do. Like I like, you know, I'm an active person. Like I was like fighting it. You, and fought, then, like, but you fought everything, dude. You, I fought you, everything. You, you fought everything. So that's would have been another thing you would have fought and you would have done it anyways. You fought um, everything. You were, you were I, tough. I'm thinking about now just the difference. One of the things that I realized recently, I was in, in Kauai and I went on this hike over these rocks and I realized how scared I would have been about my body failing me on this hike three years ago, that I had told myself that I was an active person, even though I was heavy. I was like a healthy, heavy person and I was active and I was more active than most people are heavy. And, and then 
now that I'm a little, you know, that I'm, I'm not as heavy and have more muscle and stuff, I went and I easily climbed this rock formation and was with a bunch of other people and I wasn't the last person and I did it and it was no problem. I remember getting to the top and being like, three years ago, I would have given up on this. There's no question. I would have been like, my body can't do this. I maybe wouldn't have started it because I would have been scared to go. But at the time, I did not realize that. I would have been like, yeah, like I'll go on this this hike thing, you know? It's really incredible, again, to think about the way your your mind can trick you into thinking that you're in one place when you're really not not there. You used to resist walking. Remember? You used to re- walking around the block, I think, was a was a thing for you, no? Walking around the block to me was I remember also that starting that when you were like, you can walk just for five minutes. I walked for five minutes. And then I was like, this is nice. I'm gonna walk for 10 minutes. And when I started with you the first few weeks, there were very few restrictions of any kind. It was like walking, keeping track of your food and drinking water. I think those are like the three big things. Keeping track, me a ledger of your food, right. not restricting and, and drinking and drinking water, right? All, drinking water. all addition. And yeah. tr- well, tracking is not really addition, but yeah. it's not restriction. Not restriction. And I lost a considerable amount of weight that first month. And I was like, Fall walking. Pounds. 12 pounds. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, it's got to be the walking. I'm going to increase my walking because I like it. And now like to this day, I walk half an hour every morning and I'm like, I like can't imagine my days without it. It's like such a great, I mean, when I was in Kauai, I made it a half hour bike ride instead, which was also amazing. And I'm trying to figure out a way to to do that in Los Angeles without feeling like I'm going to get hit on the street because it's great. Yeah, different, different Los Angeles and Kauai. Yeah, so glad that really resonated with you. Um, it's a, it's one of the things that really changed my life as well. Just being able to put on the sneakers and just walk for one minute, five minutes, whatever it is. So I want, I want to talk about presence. So about a month ago, you messaged me saying, "Hey, I gained five pounds. I'm really bummed." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely uh, weigh more than I did when I started working with you. Weigh not weigh weight, I weigh in more than I did when I started working with you on a more regular basis. And uh, I had noticed over uh, the course of two weeks, I had gained about five pounds. And I had been sort of teetering between... So my goal weight when I started working with you was 220. And I got to 221 at one point for like two days and then back up. And then I've been like teetering between like 222 and 227, which is fine even if I'm there for a year and eventually go down or change something that, that moves it down, like I feel like really good there. But it started going up to 228, 229, 230, and I weighed in at 232. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing that has gotten, you know, like I didn't feel like I had made major changes to my diet. I was really active and I was like really aware of the fact that I had, uh, I was doing this. And Looking back, I think it was stress. I think like like I was. You lost fr- it. You you lost. I, lo- fi- I lost it. Two weeks lost, later. Two weeks later, I lost it. I'm two twenty four. Last time I weighed in two twenty five. It's still in the two twenty four, two twenty seven. Right, you lost the five pounds. I lost the five pounds. I think that it was acknowledging it and like bringing it up with you and bringing it up with a couple of other people who are you know sort of accountability people for me. And then like being like, there's about to be a major change in my life. I had lived in Kauai for eight months and I was about to move back to LA and there was some other stuff going on that I was like stressing about. And I think that there's something very real about like cortisol and holding on to weight. And especially if you're somebody who's trying to lose weight, that adds to the stress of it. It's like one thing stresses the next thing out. 
I think my body was just holding water and holding weight and, and acknowledging it ended up being the thing that needed to happen for me to actually lose it. You know, to just like think about what, what I was, why I was in that headspace to meditate on it. That's awesome. And I think that's so important because, you know, you've been at this for close to three and a half years now, almost two and a half years yourself uh, mm -hmm. or two, around two years, maybe. First of all, it's really inspiring just to see you continue to go at it with all these principles that we've discussed that you've learned and you're still at it and, and doing it on your own. So it's amazing to see a lot of this stick which is mm -hmm. which it's really inspiring. I'm curious what else you've taken from the program that, you know, that you're you're still implementing into your life for somebody who's listening and who's thinking about, you know, just starting to do some of these things today. What, you know, obviously we spoke about the three initial, you know, get your foot in the door principles, but what are some of the things that you're doing now consistently that you don't you don't you don't veer off? I mean, when I think about like the key elements of the program and what we talked about initially, the biggest thing to me is doing things in small doses for a long time and then adding to them. I, I think that that's what worked for me and I think that that's what, what can work for a lot of people. It's not starting tomorrow, you can't eat X and Y. It's starting tomorrow, you're gonna go on a five minute walk and drink a lot of water, you know? Even if you overeat. Even if you overeat, it, yeah. like, you change nothing else, that you can change these things in a slow way. And so for me, it's, uh, I still drink, I have this bottle of water right here. It's 33 ounces. I drink three of these a day. I carry this with me everywhere. I lost it when I was in Kauai and I literally, I knew where I lost it. And instead of buying a different one, I like called them and I was like, Hey, can you hang on to my water bottle? I need to come back for it today. Uh, 33 ounces of water, three times a day, hundred ounces of water a day, at least. And I, then I drink water if I'm at a restaurant or whatever, but it's at least three of these a day. I do half hour walk every day. If I have a flight at 6 a.m., I wake up at 4 a.m. to go on a walk every day. Hell yeah. Wow. I started doing an exercise program with my, um, I have a, a sort of like trainer that I've worked with long before I met Morhai. And he initially, like whenever I tell people this, it sounds crazy. So I wanted to say how I started. I started with five sit-ups a day. That was it. It was like a walk for 10 minutes a day, five sit-ups a day. That was it. Now I do... 160 jumping jacks a day, split into 60, 35 sit-ups, uh, leg lifts, bridges, push-ups, plank, and swan. So I do that every day. So 35 of each of the exercises. Every day? Every day, twice. Wow. Yeah, every day, every morning. So my morning routine, which used to be wake up, stumble into the kitchen, drink coffee, make breakfast, has turned into an hour and a half. It's wake up go for a half hour walk, come home, do that exercise routine, make breakfast, get coffee, and then start my day. It's an hour and a half every morning. Like I have to wake up an hour and a half before the next thing that I do. It sounds crazy. Like if you had told me three years ago, I would have been like, you can go fuck yourself. I'm never going to do that. And that's why I'm like always like, I, whenever I talk to people about it, I, I, I always want to be like, I know this sounds insane. And I feel like my eating routine is similar. If you had told me that really, with the exception of a couple of days where that I've planned ahead, as you and I have discussed and had quote unquote cheat days, that I wouldn't really eat rice for the last three years, I would have told you go fuck yourself. But it had to be a slow movement into that. That's why I get you in the door with drinking a little water and five <laughs> minute right. walk, you know, a little easy peasy, hold your hand a bit before, you know, you get over to get into the deep end. 
Yeah. So my food routine is pretty similar. It's like mostly God food. I think you and I have a couple of different uh, things, you know, that I allow myself soy sauce um, right. and a couple of things that have a little bit of wheat in them. If there's sugar as the last ingredient in something, you know, I, I'm a little less diligent about that than I would be about eating an ice cream, you know, but in general, it's one bite of everything on a table and then ordering more of the thing that I quote unquote, can eat. That seems to be the thing on the menu that's the closest to God plan if I'm at a restaurant. And then I cook at home a lot. And I was not somebody who cooked at home ever, really. Uh, when I met my girlfriend, which is now a long time ago, she jokes that I used to say that the only thing I, sh I would ever cook for her was scrambled eggs and she should never expect me to cook anything else. Now I look at things that I love and I think like, how can I make this in a way that like fits the, the plan that I'm on? So you and I had this long discussion, I remember, about quinoa, which is like the, the grain with the, um, the most protein. It still has carbs, but it's the most proteiny grain. I eat a lot of quinoa instead of rice. Like it's, it's definitely part of my daily uh, diet. I had quinoa for breakfast this morning with an egg and uh, some chicken on it. It was delicious. Um, and that's my rice substitute, for lack of a better way of saying it. I think the key thing for me in terms of cooking food is that I've learned I wish somebody had told this to me. If you learn how to make chicken one way, you can make chicken any you want because once you figure out the amount of time to cook the chicken, you can change the spices and you can make Italian chicken, you can make Greek chicken, you can make Asian chicken, you can think about the spices in whatever the type of food that you want to make is and just change those spices. It's like the easiest, nobody ever told me that. So I make food all the time that I can eat at home that I have ready to go. Oh, and this is the other thing. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Preparing to go somewhere and bringing food with you is Ooh. like maybe the thing in my life that has changed the most. And it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing to always have something that you know you can bring with you if you get hungry, that you don't need to stop somewhere that may not have food that you can eat. There's these packets of tuna like there used to be, you know, like cans of tuna that still exist, but the packets are way easy to bring with you. You can slip them in a pocket of a backpack. They don't weigh anything. Packs of tuna all the time. I take nuts with me everywhere. When I go to events, I sometimes pick up salads from Sweetgreen and have them in my car in case there's not enough food for me to eat that if I'm hungry, I'll go back to my car and eat that food. And then I'll go in and like, let's say it's like a place that's only serving like appetizers and they have like, I don't know, like toasts with different things on them. I'll eat the one that has chicken on it. And I'll just eat the chicken off of it, but I'll be after I eat the salad. And having stuff with me, like last night I had band practice and I brought a big Tupperware container with cucumber salad and chicken and hummus to band practice. And I got hungry during band practice and I ate the chicken and the hummus. And I ate the cucumber salad later at night than I usually like to eat because band practice ran late and I didn't have a fork with me, but at least I wasn't starving. Like I was stupidly didn't prepare by bringing the fork. That was like my mistake, man, just having things with you. It's so easy. Again, it's like moving this many degrees. It's like, there's no trick to having almonds in your car at all points in time. It's nothing. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you enough. That is the that is the habit to create is to start preparing. And, and it goes miles because you don't, you fall off the wagon, quote unquote, much less because you're much more prepared. And you start to think about 
all the times you're going to be out at a restaurant, going to events, traveling on planes, and you're like, oh, I can just cut up a bunch of food. You know, I cut up vegetables, put them in containers, and and bring them with me wherever I go. And I think that mindset really sets you up for success because even if you mess up here and there and you get you fall off your your plan, most of the time you're doing well because you're preparing. Being prepared is is like the the, the number one thing to being successful, and, and really in any area of life, but especially with food when you're eating three times a day at least. It's huge. When I'm when I'm really when I feel like I'm really 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 on plan, I'm cooking at least one thing a day that sits in the fridge as leftovers so I know that I have something in the fridge that I can snack on. Like right now I'm thinking about the fact that I have a cauliflower in the fridge that I need to cook today so that I know that I have cauliflower tomorrow. Love that. It's like just like being in, being on top of it. If you think about one of the biggest changes in your life over the last few years because of this, you know, it's 80 pounds and all this these new habits you have and the ways of living, what does that change? It's like an interesting thing because I feel like there's like a psychological change and a physical change and also like a health, like a feeling healthier change. And I feel like they're all pretty similar. I feel like I was always like a pretty confident guy in some aspects of my life. Like I was a guy who was on stage all the time and was like confident on stage. And I was actually really worried when I lost weight that I would lose some of what made me appealing on stage. I think you and I talked about this, that I was like a like huggable teddy bear. And like, what does that look like if I'm lighter? And now that I'm lighter, I realize that I can move with way more confidence on stage without feeling like I'm going to fall on my face, which is great. And I also feel like, again, like that's that story that I was telling about going on that hike, I'm more confident in situations that are like, I don't want to say athletic. I still don't like consider myself an athlete really, but things that like need to use your body in a way that I wasn't confident that my body would react in a positive way to, you know, I think psychologically I'm in a way better headspace. I think that it's come both from weight loss and meditation and changing my outlook on a lot of things in life and just trying to get stress out of my life when I can and, and, and looking at things from a perspective of, you know, trying to essentially be, you know, the best version of myself that I can be. And I, I mean, I also think that like, just from, from the level of just being aware, both of what I'm intaking and what I'm outputting, maybe that's it. Maybe it's been just like full awareness or as, as full as I can do in any day, like you said, nobody's perfect of both the food that I'm putting into my body and what I'm putting out as a person, you know, and trying to be, trying to be honest with myself about where I'm at. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that's the, that one is the biggest one for me as well, which is like being aware of how you're, how the food and what you're doing to your body is making you feel like how that actually impacts your life day to day, minute, minute to minute, really. Like, you know, what you're eating, is it making you tired? Is it making you lethargic or is it making you, do you feel awake and vital? Like, how do you feel after you eat a certain food is so important to, you know, your life because it directly impacts you once you start having that type of awareness. So. Yeah. yeah. And I also think, I think again, like being really honest with like the story about yourself, like for me, and this is not true for everybody, but it's like letting people know where you're at for me has been so big. I know we talked about it before. Um, I was also just thinking about like this other change that I, in just the way that I've like projected, I guess my story or the thought, I, I remember that when I started, I was saying, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking right now when somebody would offer me a drink. And now I say, I don't drink anymore. And again, it's like that little, little shift little in, the, in the way, and it changes the way that your mind thinks about it. And it doesn't even necessarily mean I'm never going to have another drink again. In fact, I had a sip of whiskey a month ago, 
But for me, like when I say I don't drink anymore, it cuts that conversation out in a lot of ways that in, 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 in your mind, in my mind, I'm in my mind, I'm happy to discuss the why. In fact, often I feel like it's important for me to discuss the why, because then people for me don't feel weird in the social situations with me, but it changes the mindset. I don't drink anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all in all, what's happening over the last, you know, three plus years is your self-concept, the way you see yourself has changed so much, but it all starts with the first step, right? Going for that, going for that walk in the morning. And then eventually you get to a place where you just start to see yourself different. Once you start seeing the payoff in your life, how you feel, what changes, you know, and everything else. So that's your journey has been super, super inspiring. I mean, this is, it's incredible to, to see your path continue to unfold. And yeah, man, I'm just really happy that, um, you know, our paths crossed and that we had that well, awkward conversation three and a half years ago. <laughs> Thank you for being uh, patient with me. It, it was a, it was a long, you and I had a long journey together. So I appreciate everything you've done uh, for me and with me. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. You know, the question I'm going to ask you, because I ask it to everybody, what is one area of your life where you are feeling full in right now? Oh man, I am feeling full in family and friendship for two different reasons. I got to spend all of this time with my family in Kauai. I'm so grateful. Man, gratitude is another big change in my life, just being really aware of what I'm grateful for. And I got to spend all this time with my brother and his uh, his wife and their, and, and their kids in Kauai. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity and to be that close uh, as adults with them and, and with their kids uh, as kids and, and to really have that bonding moment. And then I came back to LA just a couple of days ago and got to get together with my band here, which is really one of the most important things in Los Angeles for me. They're such close friends of mine. And and seeing that was really my first time seeing my super close friends and giving them big hugs mm-hmm. and then getting to play music. We got to do that last night for the first time at a practice. And it's uh it was so great. It was so wonderful. And I'm I'm grateful to be here, man. I mean, after this last year, I'm just grateful that the world is back or is going back in a place where you can hug your friends and not be concerned uh, about the health aspects of that and that I could spend so much time with my family and really get to bond with them. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it sounds like you've had a, a pretty nice run, especially the last nine, 10 months or an eight, eight and a half months, right? In Kauai. That's awesome. Any last words you want to leave to somebody listening who's like about ready to get their journey started or thinking about taking action, they they want to throw their hat over the wall. What would you tell them? I would tell them that I thought I couldn't do it. I think that that's like the most important thing that like I I had convinced myself that because of my lifestyle, I couldn't do it. And I could and I have and I'm going to continue doing it. That it's really like you said, like just making small changes initially to get to the big change that it doesn't need to happen overnight. And in fact, it's way better if it doesn't. And you can do it. I can do it. We all can do it. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can reach out to me about doing it because I'm happy to talk about this stuff. It's it's become like a real passion point in my life. So uh, you can do it. I love that. Yep. I'll double down on that. And where can people find you? How do people get in touch with you? All that good jazz. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll say that the weight loss Instagram that I need to update first, that's at Jeff's Losing It on Instagram. I'm Jeff Miller LA on all platforms. You can feel free to reach out. And the band is uh, Black Crystal Wolf Kids on all platforms. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure to link all that in the show notes. Jeff, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. I'm so happy for you and proud of your success. And yeah, it's great to know you, brother. Yeah, thanks again. You too, Mordecai. 
That's it for us today, friends. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep in touch, subscribe to my weekly emails at feelingfull.com, where I unpack what I'm learning about weight loss and share ways we can all live healthier, more fulfilling lives. Do you know someone who's struggling right now? If they can use some support, feel free to share this episode with them. And if you have a moment to rate and review, that really helps grow the show. Take care, be well, and feel full.